Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Um, I was driving in, in my usual path. I kind of cut through a couple of neighborhoods, took a back, a couple back roads over here to, to cut out some of the lights on Chapel Hill Road, and I drove past a friend I hadn't seen in a long time, so I pulled over and asked him how he was doing. And uh, he just broke down and started crying. He said he'd been up all night worried about a few things going on in his life, and he just opened up to me. And I, I just listened to him and prayed with him. It was unexpected. It just reminds me that depending on what's going on in your life, I don't know uh, what brings you in here today. Uh, the title of this series in general in Ephesians is An Ancient Church in an Anxious Age. And I know a lot of you are struggling with various things. And Really, the question, the title of the sermon today is how grace flows to the church. And that's really what we need. We really need grace. We need grace from God. And that's what it's all about. And the first half of Ephesians is about, uh, it's answering the question, in the midst of an anxious age, what should I believe? What should I hold on to in terms of my, my doctrine? And the, Ephesians 1 through 3 tells us all about the grace of God, who God is, his character that he lavishes blessings on us as individuals, that he pursues us in love, as a community, that he binds us together, that, that what unites us as a body of Christ across tongues, tribes, and nations, and generations, and experiences is this deep need that we all have, and we believe we need the grace of God that only comes to us at the cross and at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what binds us together, and it's a mystery, Paul says, that that God would lavish his grace on us. And this is how grace flows to us. It comes to us in things that are true. And so in the midst of the things that, you're, that are going on in your life right now, th those things that you're feeling and experiencing are very true. Those are real struggles. And so a question I would encourage you to ask yourself in the midst of that is what's also true? I don't want to minimize what you're going through at all. But I want to ask you to ask the question, what's also true? And what's also true is that you are loved and that you've been given grace and that grace does flow to us from Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about. And Ephesians 4 through 6 answers the question, in an, in an anxious age, since we're an ancient church and we believe ancient things, then how should we live? How should we live in response to these things that we believe and Mark did a great job a couple of weeks ago talking to us uh, from verses 1 through 6 about the unity of the church. One way we should live is we should live united as one body, united in the grace of the gospel. One spirit, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, through all. This is, this is the gospel. This is one way we should live. And another way we should live that talks about here in verses 7 through 16 is we should live as, as one body. It kind of double clicks and, and maximizes that on the screen a little bit. How do we live as one body practically? How does that work for us? I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago. I told you last week it was a conference focused on church planting in China and the movement of the, the house church in China. And I was talking with a guy at my table who's a pastor. He's pastored two churches in China, planted and pastored those, and now he pastors a Chinese church in America in Miami. And I, I've known him from before, from his time in China, and I was catching up with him, and I was asking him how it's going. He says it's really hard. 
it's a lot harder to pastor an American church than it is to pastor a Chinese church. And I was like, wait a minute. So you're pastoring Chinese people still, but they're in America. They're not in China. But you're telling me it's harder to pastor Chinese people in America than in China. Why? And he said, well, in China, when people show up to the church, they're asking the question, how can I give? How can I give? And in America, I'm finding that the Chinese people in America have learned from the American church to first ask the question, what do I get? What do I get out of church? He said, somehow, he's like, I'm not sure how it happens, but it's infectious that in America, the, the consumerism and the capitalism, it flips it all around, and the questions we begin to ask are about ourselves and what do we get instead of what can we give. Now, I just said at the beginning that we have a lot of things that we need. We have a lot of things that we need. We absolutely do. We need grace from God to flow to us. But the challenge to us is that because grace has been given to us, we don't want to approach coming to Christ and coming to church in a self-focused way, that it's all about me. What do I get out of this? In fact, the way that we're called to live in response to the grace of the gospel, in response to the cross, is that we live to give. We live to give that grace of God to one another. So today we're going to talk about how grace flows to the church. How does this work practically? Well, first of all, grace flows to the church from Jesus, from an ascended and a reigning Christ. This is in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Grace flows from a reigning, ascended Christ. Before I move on and talk about the gifts of grace, the particular spiritual gifts of grace that Christ gives to his people, I just want to make sure that you understand that there is a general grace that Jesus gives equally to everyone who believes in him. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross and when he was raised from the dead, he died for sins. He died so that whoever would believe in him would have grace. So if you come in today and you've never received the grace of God that forgives you of your sins, if you've never received the grace of God that cleanses you from your sins, that is the grace that you need to receive. That's how you become a part of the body of Christ. Everything else I say is approaching grace from the standpoint of those who have already received grace. We're going to talk about how we live in the church, but the way that you get into the church is you have to receive the grace of the gospel. And you can do that right now. You do not have to face your life situation, your anxieties, your struggles alone. In fact, that's an, a debilitating way to live. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to be with you. You need him to be walking alongside you throughout life. And so I would encourage you to, first of all, receive the grace of God that's given at the cross to everyone who believes. So that's how grace flows, first of all, from Christ. But grace also flows in particular ways from Jesus Christ into the church. There are particular gifts of grace, we learn in verse 7, which it says is measured out to each believer. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, why does Jesus give out these particular gifts of grace? He gives the equal gift of grace to all believers, the general gift of grace. But then he gives out particular gifts of grace to every believer, every child, every student, every man, every woman. He gives gifts of grace. Why does he do this? It's because this is the way that God has conceived of his grace 
flowing out into the church. Now, how and when did Christ give out these particular gifts of grace? Well, we find in verse 8, there's a reference to Psalm 68, 18. It describes, that psalm describes the, the reigning Lord receiving gifts from, from us, receiving our tribute to him. But Paul, what he does here in this, in this part of the passage is he flips Psalm 68 on its head and he says, now the picture is not of us giving gifts to God because he's our Lord. Now the picture is of Christ giving out gifts to us as his people. And really the picture here, as it says that he goes into the heavens as our victorious king, the ascended Christ. The image here is of a conquering Roman general parading himself before his vanquished and humiliated enemies. That's really what's going on here. In, in ancient Rome, what would happen, and you might see this, the, the, the image here, that we, the only thing that we can really think of is like, if your team wins and they go on a parade, in one way it's to reward their fans, and the other way is to say, hey, we won and we beat everybody, right? Well, that's what Jesus is doing as he ascends into heaven one thing that's happening here is he's saying to all of his enemies, I defeated you. He is humiliating his enemies in this moment. Colossians 2.15, it says, Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So as Christ ascends into heaven, one thing that he's doing, the reason why he can ascend to that point of reigning at the right hand of the throne of God as he's making a statement, I am the king, the true king. I won. I won the real battle at the cross and at the empty tomb. And he's making a statement to all of his enemies. The New King James Version renders verse 8 in a powerful way. It says, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. So as Christ ascends, he is He's holding captivity captive, and even as he reigns at the right hand of the throne of God, he's holding his enemies captive, and that is one reason why we can experience the grace of God. We can experience the grace of God because at the cross, not only did Jesus pay for your sins, but he defeated your greatest enemy, Satan, and death. And so on one hand, what's going on here in this image is that Jesus is this conquering ruler and he's parading himself before his enemies saying, I won. On the other thing that Jesus is doing in this image, as he's, going, as he's ascending into heaven, the picture is of him giving out gifts to his people. As a result of him securing grace and making grace a real thing for us in real history, he's then giving out spiritual gifts to his people, to his church. Rather than us giving him our gifts, he's giving gifts to us so that we can spread his grace around the world. This is really important for us to understand that, that these events that Jesus actually, I'm just going to say something that may be obvious, but maybe it's not obvious to you. Jesus was a real person in real time and space. He, he had a spatial body. He actually occupied space. And then when he died. He died as a real person. He was raised as a real person. As he ascends, he ascends as a real person. And he reigns at the right hand of God as a real person, a human being, 
And this is important for you to understand. Sometimes we, we get real um, vague and ephemeral in our theology, and, and it feels like these distant truths. But just as the United States became a nation when we fought the Revolutionary War, we signed the Declaration of Independence, and we framed the Constitution, that's when we became a nation. Christianity became a real thing in real history when Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was raised from the dead. He ascended in bodily form into heaven, and he reigns now as our king. And when he did all that, he gave out gifts, gifts of his grace, particular gifts to you. Sometimes we talk about spiritual gifts. It just becomes very, uh, it can almost become very consumeristic. What gift did I get and what do I do with it? But you need to understand where grace flows from. Grace flows from the risen, ascended, and reigning Christ. So that means whatever gift you were given or gifts you were given, those are important gifts. Look at what Jesus did to give you all of those gifts that he gave you. And not only that, that gift, it's called a gift of grace, which means that if grace is going to flow to the church, it starts with Jesus. It starts with him dying, being raised, ascending, and reigning. And then he gives gifts of grace. And what Jesus means for you to do with that gift, it's different than like a Christmas present where it's really about you. Did I get what I wanted this year? It, it flips that gift around, and now that gift is about Jesus. It's about what am I going to do to glorify Jesus Christ because of all that he did for me. How can I give grace out through the gifts that I have been given? So grace starts with Jesus. It flows from the resurrected, reigning, ascended Christ. Second of all, grace flows to the church when each member uses their gifts. You've got to use those gifts. You've got to know what your gifts are and use those gifts. I was having a back problem recently, and I went to the chiropractor, and uh, I was, we were having our initial consultation. He was like, tell me what's up, and I was trying to sound a little bit smarter than I probably am. And I was like, well, I really feel like this is a structural problem, like trying to reconcile with him why I'm there. It's just probably a bone issue. I don't think it's a muscular issue. And he was like, well, I mean, honestly, you know, your bones are connected to your muscles, right? And so, therefore, almost in every case, when you have a structural problem, you have a muscular problem. It's, they always go together. You can't fix one or the other. It's almost always the answer is both. You have a structural, structural and a muscular problem. Now, I'll tell you that story for a reason. Why? Because in verse 11, we learn about gifts that are more at a structural level of the church. It's how God set up the, the bones of the church. If you want to talk about, if you want to go to another analogy, you can think about a vineyard. In the vineyard, you have a trellis. The trellis needs to be there, we've learned. The vine dressers have learned. You need the trellis to support the vines so they can grow healthy and strong. The trellis is important. The trellis is there to support the life that grows on the trellis. You don't want to walk into a vineyard and say, man, that's an amazing trellis. Hopefully you don't see the trellis. Hopefully you don't notice the trellis. Same thing with the church. There's a structure for the church. There's, there's, the, there's the skeletal structure of the church. 
But really, the life is supposed to grow on the bones, the muscles, the joints, the ligaments, everything else grows on the bones. Verse 11 tells us about some structural level gifts. But really, the big point of this passage is not to talk about the skeleton of the church. It's to talk about the muscles of the church, how the church actually functions and works and grows to be healthy and strong. We'll start with verse 11, though. The skeletal structure of the church is given to us. Uh, First of all, it says there are apostles. I'm going to go through each of these so make sure we understand these. There are apostles. So apostles, really, in terms of a capital A, apostle sense, there's only 12 of them. It's the disciples minus Judas plus Paul. These are men who saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, had the authority from Jesus because they saw the resurrected Christ to lead in those early stages of the church. They're also called the foundation of the church in other passages. Now, some people today might say, I have apostolic gifts. And you want to try to discern what they mean by that, okay? If they mean, I have gifts where I I feel called to take the gospel to places where Christ is not yet known and set up the church, that would be like an apostolic gift in a lowercase a sense. That's good. We need lowercase a apostles today. But if someone is telling you, And there are those who believe that they have a direct line from God where they can give you new revelation not found in the Bible, that they're kind of on a level different than you. You want to find a different place, find a different church, find a different spiritual leader, okay? So that's a distinguishing factor in the the gift of being an apostle. The gift of a prophet, okay? So an uppercase P, prophet, is someone who receives the word of God directly and gives that word out directly to the people, which is written down in the Bible. Okay, a prophet, you're talking about Moses, David, Isaiah. You're talking about Jesus was the final prophet. Okay, these are are the, the capital P prophets. But in terms of a lowercase sense, the gift of prophecy, you could call that the gift of speaking the word of God that's already been revealed clearly and authoritatively so that other people can understand it. That can be the gift of prophecy. That's the gift of prophecy. So that's an important gift today. In in an anxious age, we need those who are gifted to speak the word of God clearly so that the church can be built up. The third gift mentioned here is evangelists. Evangelists are also part of that structural level of the church. Evangelists are people who are who are particularly gifted to proclaim the gospel to those who don't yet know it in a way that they can understand it. And this is an important gift in the church because the gospel always has to be going outward and going forward. Not only does it need to be preached to the church in terms of the believers in the church, it needs to be preached to unbelievers everywhere. And if you feel like that you have the gift of evangelism, I just want to tell you, I'd love to to talk with you. I'd love to meet with you and encourage you in that. Uh, If you have the gift of evangelism, you have a a deep desire and ability to explain the gospel, or you feel like you might and you want to know more, I would love to to talk to you more about that. But in an anxious age, we need evangelists. In a world where, like my friend is walking down the street up all night, we need people who can proclaim the gospel in this world. We need people who can proclaim the gospel saying that there's one who will never leave you or forsake you, and that's Jesus Christ. And then you have the shepherds and the teachers, okay? So um, 
I'm going to put these two together, shepherds and teachers. There's a bit of a different nuance to those words, but I think that when, when Paul was writing this, he was really speaking of these gifts together in this particular verse. A shepherd teacher is someone who not only can speak the word, that's like in terms of being a prophet, speaking the word clearly, but they can come alongside you in a way that is caring and appropriately help people in the church understand the words and apply them in their life. And we really need shepherd teachers. We need men and women who are shepherd teachers to come alongside men and women to encourage one another in the Lord. So the head of the body is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head, and then the supporting structure of the body, the skeletal structure, is the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers. These are the the core, the skeleton, the trellis. They, They must be there for the church to function properly. But like I said earlier, the point of this passage is really not about verse 11. The point of this passage is about verses 12 through 16, which is the muscles. It's it's the joints, the ligaments. It's how the body grows and is built upon the skeletal structure, upon the foundation or the trellis, in order for life to grow in the body. The biggest emphasis comes here in verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In healthy churches, it's not primarily the people in verse 11 who do the work of the church. It's people in verses 12 and following. The best pastors, the best um, shepherd teachers are those who can help those in the body of Christ understand how they've been gifted and then help people use their gifts in appropriate ways so that the whole body can grow and function. I mean, if you were to, to see a skeleton, in fact, I, we were hiking this summer and we were in this impossible trail called the Subway in Zion. It was so hard. And we came upon an elk skeleton just sitting there right in the middle of the river. And it's disgusting. No one wants to see just a skeleton. No one wants to see that. What you want to see is a healthy, growing body. And that's what we want to see in a church. We want to see the life in the church being supported throughout the body. So you may wonder what your spiritual gifts are. And I don't have time to go through every single one of them, but this is really important for you to understand about yourself. It would be important for you to to take some time, if you don't know what your gifts are, to, to better understand them. So you can go to 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, or maybe you have one of the gifts listed in verse 11. And it would be great for you to spend some time thinking about how you're gifted, how God, when he ascended into heaven and gave gifts to men and women, that word is anthropoi, by the way, it's men and women, every time, men and women. So men and women get, all the, get these gifts, okay? So what's your gift? You need to know what those gifts are. If you're wondering, I don't know, as, as you read through, I'm just not really sure what those gifts are for me, then I would encourage you to think about where in your life, when you're serving Jesus, do you feel uh, the, most, uh, the most freed up and able to serve? Where are you seeing fruit come in your ministry as you are serving other people? What do you enjoy doing in the church? If, if you're still stumped and you don't really know after you read through this list and you're asking yourself that question, I would ask a friend or I would ask your spouse, what do you think 
Most of us have more than one gift. We probably have two or three gifts that God has given to us, maybe, maybe more, but you at least have one for sure. And I love the focus this morning in the, in the liturgy as we went through it on the weaker members of the church. You may be sitting there going like, I don't think I have a gift, or nobody really needs me to serve. And that is just, that is absolutely not true. We need every single person. Every single person in our church is indispensable. Every single person. Every single one of you is given a gift of grace from God. There's a pastor named Frederick Beekner, and he was trying to help people understand their calling is another way to think about this. And Frederick Beekner said, your calling is found where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Now, I might add in a little little plea for the church in there. Okay, so when you think about your calling, it's easy to think about something really global and massive, you know, ending this massive social ill that we have. Hey, go for it. That's awesome. In fact, let me just double down on that real quick. In the church, you're going to find that there are certain people that are passionate about things that really matter that you're not very passionate about. There may be people in, in this church that are very passionate about ending abortion. We should all be for that. But it may not be your particular thing. But what a joy that another person in the church, that is their thing. They really are passionate about that. And they're activated to end abortion. Great. There may be people in our church that are passionate about ending racial injustice. And for you, that's really not your thing. That's not where you go when you think about your passion But you know what? Praise God that in the body of Christ, someone here is passionate. Multiple people are passionate about that particular issue. Praise God for that. There are people in this church that are passionate about the environment. We should be passionate about climate change and and, and, and the environment. That's good because God created the world. We should care about the world. We should be caretakers of the world. But that may not be your thing, and that's okay. Instead of viewing one another in competition, view yourselves as a body of Christ. We all have been given particular passions, particular inclinations based on how God has made us. But don't just leave your passions way out there in the social arena. I want you to think about the local church. I want you to think about our church. How has God made you, how has he gifted you in this church to be effective for his glory? I want you to remember that these are called gifts of grace. And what that means is that in order for me to experience God's grace in the way that God wants me to experience his grace, that means you need to use your gift. I can't experience God's grace in the way, in the fullness of how God wants me to experience his grace if you don't use your gift, if I don't use my gift. Now, this is something that's really hard for us to understand. There's somebody here, there's probably a lot of people here that you don't know. And yet somehow God has orchestrated the body to be such that if that person that you don't know doesn't use their gift, then you're not going to experience God's grace in the fullness of the ways that God has intended for you to experience that grace. And so this is about the glory of God, and this is about the body of Christ being healthy and being strong. We need to use our gifts. Now, it's not realistic that you're only going to be able to serve in your areas of giftedness. I mean, No one, it's like a job when somebody's like, well, I like 80% of my job and 20% I don't like. I'm like, well, man, you got a great job. You like 80% of your job? That's great. 
Uh, it's kind of like that in the church. Not everybody gets to do only things that they just love doing. We all have to kind of step up and do things. But if you're regularly serving in an area of weakness, in an area where you're not gifted, that's not good for the body of Christ. That's not good for all of us. You need to know how you're gifted, and we need to figure out ways for you to match up your gifts with opportunities that are going on in this church so that you can serve in the body of Christ. You know, the human body is an incredible creation by God. In fact, if you were to stretch out the blood vessels in one person's body, this is crazy, it would go for between 60 and 100,000 miles. 60 and 100,000 miles of blood vessels are in your body. If 100,000 is the right answer, that means that your blood vessels could wrap around the earth four times. Every single one of, your, every single one of you, you could wrap around the earth four times. But what's also amazing is one clot in one blood vessel can kill the body. One clot in one blood vessel can kill the body if it's not attended to quickly. The point is that you matter. The, the grace of God flowing through you to our church matters. We've all seen churches where they, they have money, they have buildings, they have resources, They've got dynamic worship and preaching and all that, but they end up losing grace, and they die. And we need, we need one another. We, I need you, and you need me, and we need each other to continue to keep that grace flowing from Jesus through us to the church and to the world. So grace starts with Christ, comes to us, and then it flows out. The third point is grace flows out to the church when each member or every member is fully equipped. Fully equipped. So you need to know your gifts, but you also need to be equipped in order to use your gifts so that grace flows. The Greek word for equip is katarizo. Okay, so that means to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. To, to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. So if you're starting out from a broken place, and we all are, but if you're in a place where you're particularly wounded, then there's also an emphasis or a part of this verb, catarizo, which means to recover or to rehabilitate. So basically, verse 12 in this word, equip, catarizo, it is a summary of the spiritual formation work that churches are called to do. The pastors and elders and one another, we are called to do to equip one another, each other, to be mature in Christ. I'm really excited about getting into this new building. One of the things I'm most excited about, not only is it getting cold, um, it would be nice to be warm, but I'm just excited about the opportunities for spiritual formation we're going to have in this building. We've never had a place where we can really equip you except a small office uh, somewhere in different places. <laughs> and I'm just really excited about the opportunities for our children and for adults to be equipped. I mean, this is the main work of the church. I mean, spiritual formation, helping build you into maturity is really what me and Andy and the elders are called to do. And you can pray for us. This is on our, our agenda for our elders retreat. If we get to have it based on the, mil the moving in of our building. <laughs> but anyway, it's on our minds and on our hearts that we would be really thinking through how can we provide opportunities for you to grow and be formed into Christ. 
But there are three particular areas of our lives where are highlighted here where every member needs to be equipped. And I want you to think of this like a spiral. Okay, these three areas, it's your mind, your words, and your actions. Your mind, your words, and your actions. It's like a spiral, okay? Sometimes you meet people and they're like, you know, I'm really just more of a, an intellectual person. That's kind of my thing. I'm more of an academic. Okay, cool. Or some people are like, I'm just more of a communicator. I'm just more of a relator. Okay, that's great. Or for me, I'm just more of an activist. I just like to get things done. Great, good. We need you. But you need to be equipped in all of those areas of your life. Nobody gets to just be the academic person who comes in and tells you the right answer. Nobody wants that anyway, right? Uh, Nobody just gets to be the person that shows up to communicate. I hadn't seen that guy in forever, but he's here to tell us something. What's up with that? Okay. Or the activist. That person's always doing stuff, and that's great. But, but what do they believe, and, and, and what about their words? Are they growing in their understanding of how to communicate? These things have to be all in play, okay? There may be times in life where you focus on your mind or your words or your actions, but it's like a spiral, like a football. You've got to go from, through all of these points in order to reach the destination of maturity. They all are interdependent on one another, All right, so let's talk about your mind first, equipped in your mind. We see this in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So what binds us together in the unity of our faith, they are the doctrines of our faith. It's the core beliefs of Christianity across races, generations, eons of time. It is Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us and how that's revealed to us in the scriptures that keeps us together. And you need to root your life down into those truths. So you have to develop your mind, your understanding of theology and what Christ has done for you. I think about Psalm 1, that tree planted by streams of living water. Where are those roots going? What are they going down into? They're going down into the bedrock, the truth, of the gospel. That's how the tree continues to give fruit in season and prospering at all times. It's because the, in the mind, in our understanding, we are anchoring ourselves down into what is true about Jesus Christ. And the impact, if we are not equipped in the mind, we learn, it says we'll be tossed around by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Another way of putting it, he says, practically, what does that look like to be tossed around? It says, by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. I mean, people are constantly coming up with all kinds of ways to understand reality, especially when you're in a really hard time. It's tempting to to kind of run away from what you've always believed and run towards some new idea, but that's so futile. Those ideas pass away in a second or a day or a week or an hour, whatever. You need to hold on to the truths of your faith. You need to go down deeper into what you believe. Paul says to Timothy, his protege in the faith, a pastor at Ephesus, in 1 Timothy 4.16, he says, keep a close watch over yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Persevere in the teaching and in the doctrine If we lose Christ, 
If we lose Christ in this generation, in this church, if we lose Christ in the next generation, you lose, you lose salvation. You lose the way to salvation, Jesus Christ himself. We have to hold on to these and be equipped in our minds. The, the gain, if we're equipped in the mind, is we grow into the fullness of Christ. Now, it's really important. I'm sure this is just a human tendency of sin, but when we start talking about theology and doctrine, it's really easy for those doctrines to become an academic exercise or to become bare doctrines that are not connected to Jesus himself. I mean, you can even, there are people who have devoted their lives to studying even the crucifixion that are not Christians. Because somehow they've made the crucifixion and understanding all of that information the goal instead of Christ, who is the crucified king. So when you go to the crucifixion, you must find Christ there. When you go to the resurrection, you must find Christ there. When you go to the ascension, you find Christ there. When you go to the reigning king, you find Jesus there. Do not make theological devotion an end in itself. Jesus is the end. But it's through understanding these truths about Jesus that we become more deeply anchored into Jesus himself. So we need to be equipped in our minds. We need to also be equipped in our words. In our words. So Paul importantly mentions words. He says, speaking the truth in love. Now, our words today don't just include verbal communication with another person. It does include that for sure. But our words today, it's, it's much different than when Paul wrote this. Our words today are in our texts, our emails, our posts, lyrics of songs. Uh, they're in our, our tweets. They're in our memes. They're in all kinds of online platforms. And so words, speaking the truth in love, it, it governs all of those words. Not just words spoken, which it certainly does and must, but it's all the words. All the words. All the Google Docs. All the things that you do with words, speaking the truth in love. What would it look like if these parameters in verse 14 always framed our communication? What if before we sent every email, before we put every post online, what if we asked the question, is this truth? Is this love? First of all, I can tell you there'd be a lot less communication happening. It'd be nice. That'd be nice. Um, but I can tell you, too, that that communication would deeply improve. But let's be real about this. How do we learn to speak the truth in love? The best way to learn to speak the truth in love is not in a classroom. It's in community. I would be nowhere in this area of my life if I wasn't married to Olivia and she wasn't like, that was painful. Please stop doing that. Yes, I'm sorry. Or if I, if I wasn't a parent and I saw the way that my, my words impact my kids, or I wasn't parented by my parents, and they tried to teach me how to speak the truth in love. Mentors have helped me in this. Hopefully, pastoring and preaching helps you in this. We grow in learning to speak the truth in love by being around people who know how to speak the truth in love, or by being around people who love us enough to speak the truth to us, to tell us that that hurt, or that could have been said better, or you might want to reframe that next time. And I would encourage you, James says to us, that the tongue is the hardest element of our life to tame. This is not easy. I would encourage every single one of you to make discipling yourself in the area of 
speaking the truth in love, a real goal, a real goal, a real area of emphasis for you. It's so easy just to feel like, oh, I just got to say this thing that actually hurts a lot of people, but it makes me feel better right now, so I'm going to do it anyway. We got to, if, okay, so what do we do? What do we do? We have to repent. You are going to not tame your, your tongue sometimes, so you repent and you believe the gospel, but the goal is to be able to take those frustrations to Jesus instead of just verbally processing things out onto everybody constantly. I would encourage you to put yourself under the discipline of God in the area of speaking the truth in love. This is what it means to be equipped in the area of our words. And then equipped in our actions, verse 16. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I'm going to take this back to spiritual gifts. So you're now equipped in your mind, you're equipped in your words, you're equipped in your actions. And when you take action, think about when you take action in your areas of spiritual giftedness, how much that is improved upon and contingent upon your learning who Jesus is and you speaking the truth in love. For example, if you have the gift of helping others, how much are you helped in the gift of helping others by looking at how Jesus helped people? How much are you helped as you help others if you can help also speaking the truth in love? If you can help people also with your words in that moment, very important. Think about the gift of generosity. What if you have the gift of generosity? The more you understand Christ's generosity and his gift to us, the more you're going to be able to be generous. And as you're being generous with your wealth, you can also be generous with your time and with your words to other people. It's so important. My point is that this is a spiral, and they all are contingent upon one another. And for you to use your gifts well, you have to be equipped in your mind and with your words so that you can take action in a way that glorifies the Lord Jesus. And I'll close with this. This is a really important passage for us as a church right now. I mean, probably 65% of you have been around pre-pandemic and have been walking with us through the whole journey through the pandemic and, and even long before that. And about 35% of you are new in the pandemic. And yet every single one of you has been given gifts from the ascended and reigning Christ. You have been given spiritual gifts, which God is calling you to to use in this body of Christ. If you've been around for the whole pandemic, a lot of you are like, man, I am tired. You know, I just need to, I just need to take a break. And I totally get you. I mean, I've been taking breaks too. So take your breaks and recover. That's part of being equipped. But I just want to encourage you and let you know we need you. We need your gifts. This body of Christ needs your gifts. We do. We need you. If you've not been here, if you've been online this whole time or maybe very sporadically coming in person, I just want to encourage you to come back physically to in-person worship. I know it's super cold today. Don't blame me for not being here today. But when we have an opportunity to be inside and, and all, we've got bathrooms and children's ministry and all the things, I just want to encourage you to come back because it's really hard to be a body of Christ if we're online and, and disconnected. In fact, I'd say that being online is an awesome way to remain connected to the church when you're traveling or in a pandemic, but it's not a great way to grow as a church. And so we really do need to be back together in person 
in order for us to be one body. If you're part of the 35% that's like basically like, man, I, all I know about this church is meeting in a parking lot, essentially, or online in my, my living room. First of all, thanks for being here. That's amazing. Uh, second of all, we also need your gifts. Um, it might feel weird to go, I feel weird. I've never, I mean, I've been in a parking lot this whole time, been online. I don't know how to use my gifts here. I, I feel you, but we still need you to use your gifts. And the best way for us to figure out all this together, I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about, could we like get like a spiritual gifts test out and then have this team that really is trying to match people up? And you know what? No, we're not going to be able to do that. I'm sorry. We're not going to be able to deliver. I've actually been a part of an organization that I think I took like seven personality tests. They know like everything about me, but they couldn't ever factor in what they learned about me and do anything with it. So let's not do anything like that. What I need you to do first And what would be most helpful is just to assess what are the needs, how have I been made, and serve. And we'll we'll figure it out together. That's the best way to do it. We're not going to have some formal alignment. Let's just all step up and let's serve. Where where can you step up? There's so many areas where we need your help right now. We need worship team. Would love to have your help. If you play an instrument or you can sing, Joe would love to talk to you about that. If you haven't been involved in a while in the worship team and you want to get back involved, it would be a great time to do that. Children's ministry. We're about to start children's ministry for the first time in 18 months in a a kind of an every week way. We need a lot of teachers. We need a lot of teachers that can step up and help us disciple our children, spiritual formation of our children. Indispensable ministry is a huge one. Community group leadership. So many people have stepped up to lead community groups, to be in community groups. It's been so encouraging. Bible studies, men's and women's Bible studies, so important. Youth ministry, we've got people stepping up that I didn't know six months ago. We have talked to them. We know that they're great leaders, and so they're, they're helping lead our youth ministry. But the point is, let's all jump back in, okay? Let's all figure out what's one way that you can take your gifts and how God has given you these gifts of grace, and you can utilize those. You can serve other people by dispensing that grace out in the church. The reality is you were made to be a conduit of God's grace, and when you're not doing that, not only does, does, does God not receive the glory and does the church suffer, but you actually suffer as well because you don't get encouraged in the ways that God has created you to be. So I just want to encourage you to do that. This is an awesome time for us to, to figure out again. This is essentially like a relaunch of our church. Like our body has greatly been genetically modified, okay? And so we got to figure out how do we do this? How do we do this together? And I just want to encourage you to use your gifts so that we can become a mature body of Christ that Jesus has called us to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you gave us gifts of grace. Lord, I pray for the person here today who's sitting there going, man, I'm just so, I'm so low that I don't think I could serve anyone. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them and help them to know that, Lord, you do give such tremendous grace to us, Lord. And as you equip us, part of that equipping process is meeting us in our brokenness. So I pray that you would meet every single person in their brokenness this morning. But I pray from that that you would take us all needy, low, and broken sinners, and you would use us for your glory. Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to be the conduits of grace for you, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that every single person here today, all the way from 
the smallest to the oldest, um, that we would use our gifts for your glory. I pray that as we do that, we would have great joy and that the body of Christ would be equipped for every good work. We pray in Jesus' name.